my wife has this nice heart-shaped ass. I just love it. And I like to just, mm, I like to just nuzzle my package right into that ass crack. Like she'll be doing the dishes and I like to come up behind her and I'll just nestle it right in there. And dude, she'll fucking turn around just, and that's, and I just don't care. I'm like, it was worth it. Welcome to Breaking Vinyl. I'm your host, Des, a.k.a. Johnny, 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 And as always, I'm joined by my three co-hosts. First up, the podcaster coming through in high fidelity. Evil Ed. What's up, people? Coming from Canada, Canada this year, or this oh, day, whatever. Fucking traitor drinking, drinking his coffee out of a Canadian's cup. Fucking Listen, traitor. The, the, any Montreal Canadiens fan is going to take the opportunity to Ooh. mush a Bruins fan when they can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, the podcaster playing the deep cuts. Dangerous Dave. Hello, hello. And last but not least, the podcaster with a degree in rock and roll and a sparkling personality. Beaconstein. Hey, okay. don't make me laugh like that. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, the mission of this show is for us to introduce each other and you, the listeners, to albums and bands which you may never have heard of before while also discussing the classics. And on occasion, we will ruthlessly insult each other's musical taste. So sit back and enjoy the show. Tonight, we will be discussing Beggar's Banquet, the ninth studio album by the Rolling Stones, produced by Jimmy Miller, released on December 6th of 1968 by Decca Records. The album reached number five spot on the Billboard 200. The band's lineup was as follows. Mick Jagger, lead vocals. Keith Richards, electric guitars and acoustic guitars. Brian Jones, slide guitars, acoustic guitars, and harmonica. Bill Wyman, bass guitar, and Charlie Watts on the drums. All right, let's do some facts on this one. And I actually brought some real facts today um, in anticipation of Ed not being able to make the show, but he is here. So you guys are going to get a extra present in your stocking today <laughs> okay although the record itself was recorded at olympic studios in london during the spring they brought it to california for final touch-ups as it had already been mixed in london but they did not like the sound of the album they were dissatisfied with it and number two the toilet cover photo was shot at a porsche repair shop in la Initially, the record label made the band scrap the bathroom photo and an album cover that looked like an invitation was used. That's what I got. Uh, Dave, what do you got on this? Okay. Uh, the first Rolling Stones album produced by Jimmy Miller, 
whose production work formed a key aspect of the group's sound in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, it was also the last Rolling Stones album to be released during Brian Jones's lifetime. Uh, he had become increasingly unreliable in the studio and uh, didn't have a ton of involvement in the album, but he did play a couple of uh, you know nice parts that did make it in. Uh, and then one other thing you may have not seen before there's an art film from 1968 uh titled sympathy for the devil or alternately one plus one uh by director jean-luc goddard that shows uh quite a lot of the creation of the song sympathy for the devil in the studio it's uh it's got some weird artsy stuff but but they do show uh a lot of them creating it and uh developing the song in the studio it's uh pretty pretty cool to watch dave how much outside help did they have in uh writing sympathy i don't think they had any i think it was mostly mick jagger wow i mean it's a great song man it's one of those magical moments where you finish writing and you're like oh, what did i do <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah Holy totally shit. totally um yeah it was weird they said that um they said that his only not uh not mick jagger but um they said there was just a couple of uh, acoustic tracks that were almost uh, un- unlegible that uh, was added to the album by um, Brian Jones, right? Yeah, they mixed them out pretty yeah. much. Yeah, they said it, was, it wasn't it was good. <laughs> um, Ed, what do you got? Yeah, to continue on that point, uh, the mandolin on Factory Girl was played by Rye Cooter. Uh, he also recorded the slide guitar parts on no expectations, or as Desi wrote in the notes, no exceptions. <laughs> uh, Mick, Mick Jagger says they did use Brian Jones tracks on the record. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Um, okay. Uh, and supposedly, yeah. Keith Richards accidentally discovered open string tuning during the writing of this album, and it changed his approach to playing. Oh, he's legendary for writing these songs like this. I mean, start me up all these songs. You can, unless you tune it up right, you're not playing it right. Um, yeah, we used to do that one in a uh, damn shame. Start me up. Great song. Um, B, what do you got on this? Uh, not a whole lot that you guys didn't cover. I, I One of the things I found interesting just researching the Stones in general was they were originally called the Blues Boys. And after listening to this album, I totally get why they called themselves the Blues Boy. Yeah, boys. Um, and uh, another fun fact: Mick Jagger was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 2003. I'm surprised the fucking blade didn't break his shoulder when it came down on him. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I think he was knighted by David Bowie in 1986. <laughs> Hey-o. Hey-o. <laughs> um, yeah, that that video dancing in the streets is something to behold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so um, let's do some opening thoughts, and I will get us started. So obviously, if you listen to the show, you know I am a huge Rolling Stones fan, but this is not my favorite Rolling Stones album from a hit song standpoint. But as far as cool vibes, sly guitars, deep lyrics, it's high on my list. For example, Tattoo You, killer album. But if I want to feel that melancholy Rolling Stones feel that just... Mm, Hits me in the feels. I'm grabbing this album. So I love this album. Uh, Dave, what do you got? 
Uh, yeah, I've been a Rolling Stones fan for a long time. I uh, didn't really grow up hearing them except what was on the TV or the radio. Uh, but I got into them in my 20s and really started digging their catalog. I uh, spent a couple years touring around uh, with the Rolling Stones tribute band in the early 2000s. So, uh, you know, I'm quite, quite familiar with most of their material. Awesome. Um, this album, I think, is one of their best and marks a change from the earlier typical 60s stone sound into what I, I think is their golden age of the uh, late 60s and early 70s. Next, uh, you know, this one and the next couple albums are are the best. Yeah. Dave, it's amazing how we're going to get a lot of sounds on this album that sound very, very similar to the sounds that we're getting on that Sgt. Pepper's album. But the Stones just made it sound cooler you know i mean different <laughs> not that that not that sergeant pepper's album isn't fucking amazing but just like i mean what keith richards did with almost the exact same guitar tone when he was playing his leads it just sounded cooler here for me sounded more modern and cooler even though it's the exact same squeaky 60s guitar sound uh ed what do you got uh i'm gonna challenge you to a fight uh -oh. Those words that just came out of your mouth might have been the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I disagree. I'm with you, Ed. Uh, I, I like the Stones. And it's funny because my dad was more of a Beatles guy. Uh, although, I don't know. You might have been more of a Stones guy. But he introduced me to the Beatles first. So as a way of rebelling, literally the very first album I bought with my allowance was Tattoo You. Mm, great and album. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. However, I've never actually sat down and listened to an entire Stones album. And after listening to this, I know exactly why I never did. I listened to Tattoo You all the way through on the reg. I mean, it's one of my favorite albums. I fucking love it. And yeah. yeah I mean, I listened to that all the way through because I bought the album. But that was yeah. shit. I, I mean, I, Sticky I don't even Finger. I was a little kid, you know. Yeah, it's, it's fucking great. Um, Feet. All the way through? Have you heard this album before? Nope. Definitely okay. have not. Um, I, I like the Rolling Stones, but I grew up, same as Ed, uh, Tattoo You was my first Stones album on vinyl. A great album. Uh, probably the only one by the Rolling Stones that I've heard cover to cover. Um, and uh, my initial introduction beyond that was the uh, Hot Rocks 64 to 71, and I love it, you know? Mm great stuff everything's just a monster hit on those on those albums so so i was surprised when i dug a little bit deeper into the stones catalog that all the albums don't come with that same kind of energy on you know on those things so that that was kind of a shocker for me digging into the stones a little bit this week well originally the stones uh dave if i'm correct in saying they were a blues cover band correct they didn't even do originals when they were first conceived oh yeah yeah they started out just being a straight up blues band yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like I said, Tattoo You, um, Sticky Finger, you know, these are the these are the hot albums for sure. But if I was going to yeah. introduce somebody to the Rolling Stones and I thought that they were somebody that would like really dig the band and just continue on listening through their catalog, I would probably start with this because this is like if you're trying to write Rolling Stones music, like these are the licks and the riffs you got to learn. If you want to like really play it like Keith Richards, you know, so I, hmm. I really love the sound of this album. Interesting. Um, yeah, I got I got one more thing. Oh, uh, go ahead, please. That you guys, Dave's gonna hate this, but I love it. Um, 
every year at Halloween, Fish does a, a cover album, you know, like they've done Purple Rain, they've done the White Album. And uh, one year I, I attended, they did uh, Exile on Main Street, and it was a pretty cool set. You know, mm. they just play it front to back uh, for one of their three sets on Halloween night. And uh, they did a nice job of uh, Exile on Main Street. Uh, one of their main tunes they that is in the rotation a lot is uh, Love and Cup. So I've always kind of loved that tune. Two girls, one cup. What is it? Love and cup. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 two girls, one cup. That does not exist in my mind <laughs> oh, anymore. God. Don't bring it back. No. Okay. Um, Ed, when I get into my closing thoughts, you'll understand the um, the comparison I was making between the two albums. The And you have to make the comparison. I mean, they were made within a year of each other, right? So you'll see what I'm saying. I'm definitely not dissing Sgt. Pepper's I'm just saying. I didn't think you were dissing yeah. Sergeant Pepper so much as I didn't hear anything that you were suggesting existed on the Stones album with tones and things like that. Oh, are you kidding, dude? The, yeah. the guitar tone in, when in the solos is the it's like it sounds like it's like they plugged into the exact same amp using the exact same guitar. It's just the way that it's layered with the music and the style of music they're playing for me just makes it sound cooler more uh that gnr kind of like dark rock and roll feel opposed to the happy pop feel you're getting from the way it was used on sergeant peppers which is not a bad thing because sergeant pepper is loaded with fucking hit songs and amazing choruses with hooks which is why i gave it 100 watts <laughs> so let's all right <laughs> <laughs> let's um yeah and uh i will i will spoiler alert this is not going to get 100 watts so there you go um okay let's do the fast five and i think you guys are going to enjoy this i had a, i'm having so much fun doing this so the fast five this week is going to be the 70s versus the 80s again um number one you are the biggest producer in the world pick an era and a genre 70s classic rock or 80s hair metal? Dave. 80s hair metal. All right. Uh, Ed. 70s. And Fee. 80s for sure. Yeah, I'd probably have to go 80s. You think about how fun it would be to work with some of these guys. To actually be in that studio and watch Nikki Six fucking sit there and watch somebody else play all his parts. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, number two. You are an A&R rep for the biggest record label in in charge of signing new bands. Would you choose to do this job in the 70s or the 80s? Dave. 80s. Uh, Ed. 70s. <laughs> Fee. 80s. <laughs> yeah. And I would also have to go 80s. I think it would be fun just to be the big shot and all, you know, the whiskey and the troubadour and you're the guy signing the band. So you're a big oh, yeah. deal. You know, all that, that, that does this here from fucking Electro. Go suck his dick. Okay. Uh, number three. You're going on a world tour as the guitar tech for Brian May, 1974, or Slash, 1987. Dave, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with Slash. Okay. And then. Oh, my God. Brian May, 100%. <laughs> and Fee. Brian May, 100%. And I'm going with Slash. Come on. Slash, the best modern guitar player of all times. Maybe one of the best guitar players of all times. Oh, I know. And once again, you totally just 
embarrass well, yourself Dude, with listen, your thought process. Listen to the extended guitar solo in Sweet Child of Mine. I mean, I can't because I can't listen to the song anymore. But if you go back and listen to that guitar solo, Slash is it's, playing it's some... It's so good you can't listen to it anymore. <laughs> it's so good I can never hear it again. Okay. Uh, number four. I love this one. You're the photographer for Rolling Stone magazine. Would you choose to do this job in the 1970s or the 1980s? Dave. 80s. Ed. Oh, man, this is probably the toughest question because I'm thinking in the most perverted ways. Oh, God. <laughs> and there are benefits to both the 70s and the 80s. Uh, yeah. But for that, I'll probably go with the 80s. And Fee. I'm going with the 70s. I couldn't deal with those fucking babies in the 80s. No Dude, way. I'm with you, Fee. I just, I couldn't, man. I just, like, Brad, yeah. like, they need a little bit more rouge. No, you don't. You've got plenty of rouge on. I don't want that. Exactly. I, I would I would think it would be fun, like, maybe you'd be getting, like, some of the, the last glimpses of, like, the doors and, you know, and stuff like that. So I think the 70s might be a lot of fun there. Yeah. Um, and... Finally, number five, would you rather be the biggest disc jockey of the 70s in New York City or the biggest disc jockey of the 80s in Los Angeles? Dave. Yeah, 70s New York. That's cool, right? Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Um, Ed. Definitely 70s New York. Fee. I'm going 80s LA, and I fucking hate LA. Dude, this one is so hard for me because 70s fucking New York. I mean, you know, Ramones and oh, fucking Iggy and just all this great shit going on. CBGBs. Oh, it's so hard Fuck for Aerosmith. me. Aerosmith. <laughs> Aerosmith. I mean, just, I mean, everything. But for me, I just imagine the 80s LA being a disc jockey, DeLoreans and palm trees and pink shirts and ah, Miami Vice. I'm going 80s LA. Okay. All day. Uh, all day, Des. Yeah. It'd be a fucking great time to be alive in LA. I don't think now is, but I think then would be. All right. Let's get into the track breakdowns on this one. We all know nothing bad happened in the 80s in LA. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> No. There was definitely no crack cocaine. Oh, God. That's a plus on my list. Okay. Um, number one, Sympathy for the Devil. We'll get it started. So, obviously, this is a killer song. Um, it has some of the best lyrics ever. Uh, great piano. Great percussion. And this is what I said. This is the exact guitar sound we get on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, only... It just works so much better here for me. It just sounds cooler. Um, fuck, this song is great. I mean, Dave, what do you got on this? Well, opens with a quite unusual exotic percussion beat, uh, maybe uh, a samba. Uh, vocals, bass, and Nicky Hopkins' great piano all come in together. Uh, was reportedly mostly written by Mick, although credit to uh, Jagger and Richards. Uh, influenced by French and Russian literature. Uh, the lyrics focus on atrocities in mankind's history from Satan's point of view, with Mick playing the part of the devil. A uh, very soulful and sharp guitar solo from Keith. Uh, the song was originally written with a line asking who shot John Kennedy, but after Robert Kennedy's assassination, the line was changed to reference both. And towards the end of the song, the piano and bass are both cooking and moving. Mick and Keith are calling back and forth on vocals and guitar. It's amazing. Love it. 
Nice, I'll tell you who didn't shoot Kennedy. <laughs> Hinkley. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Ed, what do you got? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Sympathy for the Devil God. This is one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. The opening groove sets a perfect mood for the story that you're about to hail, uh, be told. Mick delivers a perfect combination of not quite singing, but also not quite talking. And it's an eloquent vocal tone that's full of a narrative tone that completely grabs your attention and just pulls you in. Like the first time I heard this, I was just, I don't pay attention to lyrics most of the time. These lyrics, I was like, wait, what? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The song has a percussive and bass groove that's just second to none. It is so smooth and so just not what I expected when someone goes, dude, that's the Stones, you know? Uh, then you add in the backing vocals, you have this absolute masterpiece. Credit to them for taking a chance because I think this is totally outside of the box for them. Yeah, I agree. And Ed, I don't care what piece of film you put this behind it makes it cooler like i don't 100%. give a shit holy shit uh, this, yeah i mean you put this in casino and it's just like oh i'm fucking yeah, bowing oh, to the screen so good <laughs> uh fee what do you got on it yeah obviously this track's amazing uh dave i'm i'm hoping you can kind of corroborate this story that i read about but uh Mick Jagger originally wrote this as a folk song, and I guess it was uh, Keith Richards that suggested kind of adding in some percussion and tr changing the tempo a bit to turn it into more of a samba. Is that something that you've heard? Yeah, I, I read about that, that it originally started kind of, you know, a little flatter and that he yeah. wanted to, you know, at, at least do something to gas it up a little bit. Um, yeah. Actually, Keith played uh, the bass on this song. Oh, nice, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can can you guys imagine if this was a, a folk song instead of what it is? <laughs> like how different it would be? Oh, fuck. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, when, when they played it live, uh, they used uh, kind of a different feel. Like if, if you listen to, uh, I think, the Gimme Shelter movie, they play this. And it's it's a yeah. little more, it's, it's definitely got a different feel. They don't stick to the, uh, you know, uh, latin percussion kind of feel gotcha it's so fucking cool uh track two no exceptions <laughs> so <laughs> the funny thing and you're fucking so the funny thing is uh after getting the title wrong this is probably my favorite uh rolling stone song <laughs> um yeah, so this is one of my favorite Stone songs. Uh, perfect split guitars, left side slide, fucking right side acoustic. Um, so loose, so perfect. And these vocals and lyrics, this is what makes the Stones great for me. This is what turns me on to the Rolling Stones. And this is one of my favorite Mick Jagger vocals and one of my favorite Mick Jagger uh, lyrics. I fucking love this song big time. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Yeah, it's a pretty and mellow song. Uh, some sweet slide guitar uh, there by Brian Jones. Uh, it's very intimate. You can hear the slide rattle on the guitar neck. Uh, 
It was uh, first released as the B-side of the Street Fighting Man single in August 1968, and the song itself was recorded in May 1968. Nice. Dave, did they ever redo this um, with a bigger production? Uh, No, I don't think so. Ah, they should. I would love to hear this beefed up, you know, just rocked out a little bit more because it's so fucking good. Oh, you could do so much with this song. Maybe I'll do it. Ed, what do you got? <laughs> oh, Ed, talk to us about this song with your mic on. Sorry, I had the, I had the wrong window push. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, why is my cursor moving everywhere? <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, it's it's. I like the intro. It's a cool slide guitar, very bluesy tone, vocal melody, the guitar, everything. Piano comes in just before the second verse, and it really fills the song wonderfully. For me, though, this song is a perfect example of why I don't love the sounds as much as I want to. The song doesn't go anywhere. It lacks dynamic and direction and closure. It kind of just flatlines the entire way across. It there's, it there's no... It's just a blue... It's like an, such an average blues song for me. Oh. And I just... Oh, it just... They're- yeah. Fucking opinion flatlined right when you started talking. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking uh, talking about this fucking song couldn't be any cooler. You, you need to get out of your house more because there is no emotion. There is no nothing in this. And I hate to tell you, this is going to be repeated over and over and over again. Uh, this is like listening to Greta Van Fleet. Where, oh, where they start playing you. and you're like, okay. This is cool. <laughs> and then the song's over and you're like, but it didn't do anything. It didn't oh. go anywhere. It started and finished exactly the same with no direction, no change, no dynamics. It's just boring to me. Oh, Veta fan. Dude, mute your mic. Fee, what do you got? This is funny. I love it. Thank you, Ed. Oh, fuck um, face. No, this song's okay for me. Uh, <clears throat> but... But again, you know, I'm used to the Stones being big energy, you know, and then you hear tracks like this and I'm like, oh, this is different, you know, so um, not a big deal. So I I looked into it a little bit and um, one of my notes was I I like the vocal from Mick because sometimes on some of the the, like higher energy songs, he gets a little screechy for me. But um, but this this vocal was clean, pretty good. Um, and this this song's been covered a lot, and one of the covers was by Johnny Cash, and I kind of like that version a little bit better than this because it's a it's a lot cleaner, you know. I, I don't know, I like that cleaner sound that Johnny Cash delivers than this better than this. But this is a good song. I like the song. Fee, I love so many of those songs that Johnny Cash covered, like when he did the Trent Reznor song. Oh my god, it's fucking amazing. Just. Yeah. Oh, Ed, I'm so disappointed. You know, you need to start listening to the words of songs more and listening to the stories. Fuck. <laughs> so I There's did, uh... more to a song than the lyrics does. <laughs> yeah, it was all great. Dave, what do you got? What were you going to say? Yep, I was uh, checking my, my music collection here, and there are a couple versions in the uh, Stones catalog of uh, the song. Uh, it's Bootlegs. Uh, okay. There's like a 1978 uh, rehearsal tape uh, that's uh, kind of cool. It's got some uh, steel guitar on it. 
So worth checking out. It's called uh, nice. Pearls at Swine, nineteen seventy eight Woodstock rehearsals. Mm. Uh, also, uh, Toshiba Studios Tokyo in nineteen ninety five. They do a version of that. I think that's the uh, the stripped album sessions. Oh, I'm gonna go check that out. It's something I would like to hear because I love this song because it's great. Number <laughs> three, Dear Doctor. Um, okay, so love the harp on this one. Love the harp on the whole album fucking the harp is like they they mic this thing up masterfully like it, it almost sounded like it was recorded like in a different session in a different studio in a different decade it's it's so clear and perfect um this album is just dripping with cool rock and blues uh we also get a nice vocal here and we're gonna get a bunch of harmonies on this song and I love when Mick Jagger goes to the harmonies. He doesn't always do it. A lot of times he'll give you that single vocal, which is fine too, because he has so much inflection and so much character in his voice. He doesn't need harmonies all the time, but he definitely leaned on them in this track. And I really liked it because I'm a, I'm a harmony guy. Um, the way the piano and the ultra blues guitars are layered. It's just unbelievable. And if, you're a guy that needs a bunch of hooks and needs a bunch of hits. You're probably not going to love this album. But if you're a guy that just loves to listen to a great blues guitar and piano and harmonica layered in and feathered and intertwined perfectly to where they almost make one sound, you're going to fucking love this album. Oh, fuck you. Dave, <laughs> what do you got? Yeah, it's a bluesy country song. Uh, contains great Mick and Keith dual vocals. Uh, it has a lot of elements of later similar Stone songs like, uh, you know, Girl with the Faraway Eyes. Uh, funny lyrics if you listen to them. And simple acoustic arrangement, not very rocking at all, but very cool. Uh, despite its appearance on this album, uh, Dear Doctor has never been performed live by the band. Interesting. Interesting. Ed, what do you got on this one? Not interesting at all, because oh, it's a boring song. Oh, no, it's it's you know what the blue. <laughs> I give Stones the Rolling Stones credit is a blues band. They're a good blues band, but again, I just find it boring. I, I I'll ex, it'll explain and make more sense later on the B side of this because I think they get it right with a couple of the songs later on, but I think the tracks on this first side the last one, this one, the next couple, they're just they're It's like a generic Delta blues type thing. And it just, it, it, it didn't do anything for me. I love the harmony through this. I love the double lead vocal. I think that's great. Uh, I'm assuming that's Mick Jack, Mick Jagger that does the female speaking impression. And I think it works well. Normally I don't like that stuff, but I think thought it was kind of cool and at least added something to it. But again, it's a song that starts and ends with nothing really grabbing your attention other than Mick, Mick having the double vocal and pretending to be a woman. Oh, God. I mean, and I agree with you. I mean, if, like I said before, if you're not here for, if you're here for hit songs, you're going to be disappointed. A lot of this gets jammy. You know, but there are three big songs on this. And, that, and what kills me is you can hear the difference in the energy between the big songs and these blues songs. It's almost like they they went in the studio and if they were high, they're going to write a blues song. If they were like amped up on amphetamines or whatever, you know, they're going to do Sympathy for the Devil. You know, you get this different energy from 
the songs, the hit songs that are on this versus everything else. It's like two different albums. Like the blues song shouldn't be on this album or the hit song shouldn't be on it. And they should have just done a blues album. So Ed, but there, I don't, I, I don't know if there's three hit songs on this. I mean, like Sergeant Peppers, there are songs on there that everybody's heard. Even like your 15 year old kid has heard. You right. know, well, there, there are two songs. songs that are hits, there's, but I, I include the last one as just a song. That's a great song. Cause I've heard it so many times. There's one song on this album that everybody's heard the sympathy for the devil. I mean, the next biggest hit on this song probably goes under the radar with a lot of fucking people. I think um, the name does, but I think when people hear it, they go, Oh, I know that song. I heard it somewhere. Uh, yeah. What do you got? Yeah. You know, again, weird because I, I come in thinking of the stones as a high energy band and now this album's getting kind of mellow for me, you know, and, and a little too country, but, um, I mean, the song's okay. You know, it's not bad. It's listenable. Like this so far, this album is like a good background conversation music, you know, where now and again, I'll stop and be like, wow, that was really fucking cool. You know? Um, but that reading of the letter is just terrible. That was like, oh, I, no, no, just stop. But it's okay overall. Outside uh, of that, it would have been a better song. I don't know how you can't be just totally impressed with the guitar playing and the piano <clears throat> playing and the harmonica playing. It's so next level, guys. The way Keith Richards plays guitar. Very, oh, dude, I think it's not his best. I think it's average for the time period. For other great guitar players, yeah, I just don't think it stands out, especially for what's it, nineteen sixty eight. I think it's really good. I, I really love, good. absolutely love the piano on this album. I, it's I not, how that guy's it's not bad. Yeah, I'm just stating that it. I don't think it's like, like you know, the Rolling Stones are one of these god bands that everyone puts on a different level, and I think they're performance other than like three songs on this album is eh. Ugh, I was so let down. Wrong. You're wrong. Okay. Uh, track number four, Parachute Woman. So the production on this track leaves something to be desired, especially the drums. I mean, this thing is hollow and small. It's not a good production. Um, they get a little too creative with the panning. And on a song that's produced as bad, it just starts to become a little bit of a mess for me. Um, I don't know. The harp, again, is perfectly mic'd at the end. And it's so clear and so present and so upfront that it almost just accents how poorly this song is produced. I don't know what happened here, but it's a mess. Uh, Dave, what do you got? I think that that may have been an artistic choice. Uh, yeah, the the way they produce this uh, kind of sounds like some of their older material, obviously very influenced by American blues. Uh, Brian Jones plays acoustic guitar and harmonica on the verses uh, where Mick performs that harmonica at the very end. That's mixed, you know, nice up front. Yeah. Uh, straight up blues number. It is only been performed live by the Stones twice. Hmm. Good, good fact on those uh, two different harmonica parts. I man, I really. I think I like the the second one better. I hate to say it. I mean, <laughs> I know he is not the accomplished harmonica player that um, Brian was, but wow, I, I just thought it was a really great harmonica part. Ed, why did you hate this amazing harmonica? 
<laughs> I I like so, the there are parts of the songs that I like, but they're so minimal. They don't they don't affect the song enough for me to like the song a lot. Yeah. Uh, however, in this song, I actually I love the guitar group. I think the lead behind the vocals is really good, it, but it's got a basic blues riff behind it. But it has attitude. Like this is actually a song that I was like, okay, Lisa's got a little bit of energy behind it. Um, unfortunately, though, I had such high hopes and it didn't go anywhere. Like I'm like, okay, this is good, this is good, and then all of a sudden it's over, and I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, where it it didn't go anywhere. It's just they didn't. It's like they didn't have the formula right yet. Again. See, Ed, what what gives me wood when I listen to this stuff is when I listen to a band try and play songs like this and the guitar player is just playing open chords, you know, it doesn't matter what chords he's playing, you know, D, C, G, A, you know, B minor, whatever it is. I get bored. It's the way Keith Richards is fucking playing guitar here. It is so fucking good. It is so not standard guitar playing. Well, I think what I think more the point that you're trying to make, or at least it's the point that I meant to make earlier. And that is one thing that I absolutely adore about every recording the stones do. It's not perfect. It's they leave all the imperfections in it. And I appreciate that so much. I think that's what makes them so great. Is they're like, yeah, you know what? We just went in, we played and we had a good time. And I get that. And I love it. And it's the little, flaws that make it human and I think make it so you can relate to it but I just think in the big scheme of the Rolling Stones my idea of the Rolling Stones it's it's sold short these songs but if you sat there and watched fucking Keith Richards play one of these songs on guitar and then he handed you a guitar and said now you play it you couldn't it's fucking because no. you don't know no, Red, you don't know these chords you don't know how to play them Exactly, but what's funny is I would probably look exactly like Keith Richards playing it, where it just looks like a complete disaster of a shit show, but it's absolute beautiful music from him, and it just sounds like fucking me banging on strings. Okay, Fee, what do you got? I like this song. I thought this was one of, you know, the the innuendo in this song's kind of funny. My heavy throbbers itching just to throw a solid rhythm down. That's pretty fucking hilarious. It is. Um, I had a production note on this and Dave, I was hoping you would hit it before me. I damn dude. Um, I guess this was recorded on a cassette player and double tracked for effect. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, Dave, what does that mean? Oh, I read about that. I read about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that, but I know some of, some of the stuff on this album, um, they, they would use like a portable cassette deck and you know sort of you know fly it in to to the main you know part of the recording like the the real tape mm -hmm. um just sort of uh I, I know some of the guitar um just because the portable tape deck would get sort of a almost like an overdrive you know that you could push that the the tape and the electronics of the the recorder just to get a kind of a crunchy guitar sound yeah so let me ask would, you guys would that have oh go ahead v so, oh, so I, I was just going to ask you des would that could that possibly see, be some of the production quality that you were talking about that they did it this way you know oh, what absolutely I mean? contributed yeah. to like the lo-fi sound of uh yeah. 
of this track for sure. Yeah, I was reading that uh, when I because I read that two feet. Yeah, and I was reading about it, and what I was reading, they were using it as a pickup instead of having a pickup for the guitars. They used the cassette recorder as the pickup, mm. and they did it on the drums too. Supposedly, it's some sort of technique. It's like I don't know if they developed it or or who developed it, but. Like this was kind of like the be early beginnings of it, to my understanding. Well, I didn't notice it, but yeah, it was interesting. It's funny you said mm-hmm. that, Ed, because when we do the next song, I'm going to get into how impressed I was with how hard they were trying to create new sounds. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but I tip the hat to them for their extreme effort to just invent new techniques oh, to absolutely. make their shit sound different. So compared to Sgt. Pepper's, would you guys say that this album had more of a 70s sound, even though it was recorded like within 12 months of it? Dave? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it definitely and, sounds more 70s. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that 70s rock sound. Yes. Like, and, yeah. and I think that's that's the, the better way to put it is the, the Stones were 100% a rock band, whereas the Beatles weren't a rock band. They were a pop band. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Uh, track five, Jigsaw Puzzle. Um, so in my opinion, I'll be uh, I'll be interested to hear what Ed thinks specifically. This is the best bass track on the album. Would you agree, Ed? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's I, great. Yeah, I thought this bass track kicked ass. And I thought not only was it played really well, but I thought the production on it was really well. And they they it's so weird because there's a couple of spots like where Charlie Watts drums sound really good, but then there's other tracks where it sounds really bad. And I kind of wish that when they had like honed in on that good sound they just said all right time to stop experimenting we've got it let's just go with this for the album and this was the bass sound they needed to go with for the album um and like i said i appreciate how hard they push to create different guitar sounds but i'm not sure the excessive reverb on the slide guitar worked here it just got kind of screechy and squeaky sounding and it kind of ruined these really great slide guitars um, overall, the song is fine, but this is where some of this experimentation just didn't really work. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Yeah, some descriptive lyrics here. Uh, sounds sort of like a jammed out track. Uh, Keith Richards on acoustic guitar and slide guitar with Brian Jones playing the distinctive whine throughout the song on a Mellotron. Uh, this song has never been performed live by the Rolling Stones, uh, but it is said to be influenced by Bob Dylan. Hmm. Not a big, huge Bob Dylan fan. I mean, Dave, you a big Bob Dylan fan? Not really. No. Uh, Ed? No. Fee? I, I wouldn't say I'm a big Dylan fan, but I saw him live once. It was pretty good. It was entertaining. Was he playing with fish? Uh, no, actually, <laughs> open for Santana, maybe? Hmm. I like Santana. Yeah. So you yeah. like you like lyrics yes. most, yes. But you're not a Dylan fan. No, I didn't like, say I wasn't what... a Dylan fan. I just said I just oh, said okay. it's not like you know he's not like on the top of my my radar. You know, it's gotcha, yeah, maybe gotcha. it's because it's just you know softer edge, softer edge with Dylan. But yeah, you know, uh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, I, I was gonna I, say, but that guy's like a lyric beast. Yes, and I appreciate a lot of his stories, hundred percent. Okay, um, so this ends side A. So for all of you uh, listening, we, me and Fee didn't go. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> ADA. Sorry, Fee and I. Fee. 
Ooh, you're not. Let it up. Okay, so Ed, would you like I, to talk about it? Yes, because I want to confirm. Yeah, the 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 piano, drums, and bass are the saving grace of this. Uh, the mu- musically, the layers in the song are deeper than the last few songs, and I like that. I like it a lot. The problem is the song is just weird compared to everything else, and it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. I'm like, it just, it didn't, it was the oddball of, it was, yeah, it was just the oddball of all the tracks. I mean, because like I felt there was Sympathy for the Devil. There's two other songs on side B that I really liked. And then there's everything else. And, and this just didn't fit. This was the odd one out. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. Fee, what do you got? I don't I don't know what you guys are saying. I, I really like this song a lot. This was one that I was looking forward to hear the most, like, you know, outside of the ones that I already knew, the two that I already knew on this album. But uh, I, I didn't realize how polarizing it was on uh, amongst critics, you know, where people either really love this song or really hated it. My first note was, why wasn't this more popular? I figured this would be, for the time, this would be a, a big hit. And, you know, being, being in, uh, inspired by Dylan, you know, that was some of the love and the hate for it was I love it. It's a Dylan imitation or I hate it. It's a Dylan imitation. You know what I mean? So um, I loved it. I I think this is a great song. Nice. All right. So that will end side A. (laughs) This is where you will flip the album over. If you are listening on a record player. Um, So Ed, is there anything you do that annoys your wife to the point where she will just literally slap your face, but you do it because you truly enjoy doing it, but you know you're going to get fire if you do it. Uh, everything in my life. <laughs> but nothing in particular, like you could just say, this is it. This is the thing. Oh yeah, God, there's everything. It's video games. It's playing music at the wrong time, even though my wife is a massive music fan. Okay. It's like, okay, Breathe, well, breathing we oxygen. should be doing this instead. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. I have something more specific. Fee, how about you? Anything specific you could say, yeah, she just, just this will get me slapped right in the face. My wife hates it when I touch her in certain places. Okay, we're and, getting closer. And she'll immediately, <laughs> immediately fight back when I do those things. So, and we'll just leave All it right, at that. If that's yeah. where we're going, <laughs> I'm not allowed to go anywhere near her belly button. Okay, okay. Without and... getting a jump, a smack, whatever. Yes. <laughs> okay. Dave. Uh, not married, but do you have a girlfriend? Is there anything you do to Lisa out of pure enjoyment, not even because you're trying to be a dick, because you enjoy it, that will get you get your, your glasses knocked off your face? <laughs> um, yeah, not that I can think of. No, oh, you're a good guy. So <laughs> my wife has this nice heart-shaped ass. I just love it. And I like to just... I like to just nestle my package right into that ass crack. Like she'll be doing the dishes and I like to come up behind her and I'll just nestle it right in there. And dude, she'll fucking turn around just, and that's, and I just don't care. I'm like, it was worth it. And I do this to her daily. And it gets to the point now, like where if I try and creep into the kitchen, she'll turn around, put her ass to the sink. Like get the fuck out of here, dude. Just fucking fuck off (laughs) doing this for years. Um, and oh God! We also have this game where if either of us are in the shower, right? The game is you sneak into the bathroom as quietly as possible, and you try and get your hand into the shower and turn the fucking temperature down to ice cold without them noticing. And if you get them, if you can get them, you'll be in the living room. You're like, ah, you motherfucker, it's cold. So we do this. So we've been doing this for years, right? But 
it got to the point where she was getting me more than I was getting her. So one morning she's in the shower and I get a bucket of ice water, like a big one. And I just dump it over onto her head. And I hear her going, <laughs> she was crying. And that was it. It was over. No more doing that. But we still do the old turn the knob. So, all right, that's it. Let's get on to... Uh, Fee, would you like to be more um, specific on what part of your body your wife does not like you touching or you just want to leave that alone? Nope. We'll leave it alone. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Number six, Street Fighting Man. So for me, this song is all about Jagger's vocal melodies. And I say this a lot when we do albums. Some songs, it's not the words, it's not the hooks, it's the melody just the way he's singing it. It's, it's catchy as fuck. And I love this melody. And it's what makes this song so damn good. Um, I also thought this drum track, here it is, sounded really good. The snare sounds big for the time and specifically for Charlie Watts. I really wish that they had fucking captured this sound on the entire album. And I thought the shaker filled it up nicely. I thought it was, uh, I thought percussionally, this is a very nice song. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Well, the guitar on this song was recorded on a portable cassette deck. And you'll be pleased to know these drums that you like so much was a, a toy drum kit that, that came in a suitcase. <laughs> that that they, they recorded Charlie Watts had this. And uh, yeah, they recorded it just because they, they liked the sound so much for this song. Um, but... <laughs> It's pretty funny. Don't I feel dumb? Uh, no, no, it's 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 a good sound. It works for this song for sure. Uh, it's a very powerful song at this point in history. Uh, while Street Fighting Man was originally written with an entirely different set of lyrics, uh, growing violence at political events throughout 1968 inspired Mick Jagger to alter the song and directly address such topics. Uh, its release came after a highly politically charged and publicized summer of violence with the release of uh, the Beatles Revolution, uh, which has similar themes. Uh, Street Fighting Man sparked controversy in the United States upon release, and many radio stations boycotted the song and refused to play it. Uh, a mono version of this song appears on the uh, album, the singles collection, The London Years. Nice. Dave, you know what? I get a lot of satisfaction out of moments like this when we're doing the show. <laughs> see see what you did there? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I can't get no. Um, no, but when I when I notice something, like I'll like something will stand out to my ear when I'm listening to the record, like these drums, for instance, and then you um, you know, validate me by saying, Yeah, it's a fucking toy drum set. So clearly. I was listening sure. <laughs> and I noticed it. There was something different about these drums and I really liked it. Maybe you should have used this fucking toy drum set on the whole album. <laughs> Ed, what do you got? Uh, yeah. Finally, a song with excitement and dynamics. The Stones are a better band when they get away from the basic blues sound. The opening is brilliant for this song. You have this great guitar lick going. Then the snare hits or claps. I wasn't sure. Unfortunately, I didn't have headphones, so I had to listen to it through my crappy little iPad speaker. Um, you know, and then the whole thing kicks in. The melodies, lines, and lyrics, they're just great. Uh, they grab you, and they take you for a walk down the street as if you're best friends. And that's what I really like it, about this song. Uh, everything kicks in, and it's just, wow. The little 
bass lick, it's so simple, but it's placed so perfectly. It owns a song, in my opinion. Like every time I hear the song, I can't not sing that little bass lick. <laughs> yeah, it it's just, good. I don't know why. It just sticks out. But this is, I wish there was more of this style of Stone songs on side A. Yeah. Because this is a great, it's, it's so good. I agree. Finally. V, what do you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that, Ed. I, I love this song. I, I, this was uh, the second of two songs that I actually knew on this album going into it. And I, I don't know what it, like, the piano in this just is killer for me. Like, I, again, I don't know how this guy wasn't just part of the band, you know, like it just kind of mentioned, like, also played, you know. But, um, yeah, I kind of went down the same road as you, Dave, on that with the, you know, with the uh, protests, Vietnam War protests, stuff like that, and getting banned from radio stations, especially in Chicago. Uh, either way, this this song's amazing. Probably my favorite on the album. Mm. Cool. I like that. Uh, track seven. So uh, this is another one of those moments. Like, and this, this was not researched and no, this was just purely on listening. So I immediately noticed this song sounded like an old times blues song, like Howlin' Wolf or something, right? I'm like, okay, my spider sense was tangling. I'm like, there's something going on here. So I went to the Google machine and I Googled it and I was like, it felt like somebody else wrote this. It doesn't feel like the Rolling Stones. This feels like they ripped off a song from the old times and Lo and behold, uh, there is an uncredited songwriter, Reverend Robert Wilkins. They fucking did not write this song. Um, Who do I, they think they are? Led Zeppelin? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> um, I love this lost sound. And so, Ed, this is what I'm talking about. This is not an easy sound to replicate and reproduce and make it sound 100% authentic. People try. They can't pull it off. This sounds like it was recorded fucking generations before it was this sounds legit man this sounds legit like it's being played by like an old african-american on a fucking a guitar made of fucking like whiskey and broken dreams it's fucking amazing dave what do you got <laughs> yeah that's uh more country blues uh yeah i mean the stones can really get authentic with this um you know like like you said other people can try to pull it off and and just doesn't doesn't sound right um they get it um the the uh difference in the song being credited was was actually a mistake um they fixed it i believe on uh you know future versions uh after you know the the mistake originally happened uh the song is credited to Reverend Robert Wilkins, a 72-year-old former blues singer turned minister. Um, he first apparently recorded it in uh, February of 1964 for Piedmont Records, and this was reported in Rolling Stone magazine in 1969. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Ed, what do you got? <clears throat> yeah, it's... it's... It's different than side A blues, but it is just back to the blues because like, it's a cover of a blues song, old blues song. Uh, this at least has the energy, though, that I feel those blues songs on the first side lacked. 
the drums have this fantastic shuffle. I mean, they're the best part of that song, this song rather. Um, you know, and, and like you get, it gives you the feeling that you're riding the rails yeah, and, and kind of going through that stereotypical, what we grew up with, you know, seeing the cartoons and all the old timey movies, you know, where you had these blues songs and, oh yeah, it's a hobo on the rails, you know? <laughs> uh, but this, I think they do a decent British version of the Delta blues, yes. you know, it, when they cover this and it's, it's good. Uh, the song still doesn't go anywhere, but no, but knowing that it's a cover, especially from 1928, this, it was, it's great. It's a great song. Oh man. The recreation of that Delta blues twenties sound, man. They really nailed it. They nailed it. I mean, I wouldn't want to hear a whole album of it by the stones, but just showing off what they could do. I found it to be extremely impressive. Feet. Do you guys th- like this song's just okay. I don't know. I have no thoughts on it either way, but do you guys think this was more the sound they were going for when they wrote their own songs? This is the sound that sparked their interest in music, right, Dave? I mean, this is like what Mick Jagger grew up on. Oh yeah. This is what they were listening to when they were teenagers and, yeah. and they aspired to, um, you know, of course they, they went, Past it with with their own music, they they expanded it and and right. you know took it in another direction. But you know this is yeah. you know the the bread and butter. You know, yeah, this is the foundation yeah. of the Rolling Stones, and that's what makes exactly. them so different from all the, the other bands. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're taking <laughs> chords and styles that other guitar players weren't playing, and that's what I keep trying to describe is if you watch the guy like Keith Richards play guitar, he's doing things that are very difficult to do because it's a lost art of guitar playing. That's all I can say. And like I said, I have spent years of my life trying to learn some of these chords that he plays and they're not easy to play, especially with an authentic feel. Continue, Fee. I got nothing. I really just kind of wanted to ask you guys that question because I, I really... I don't know. Just another blues song for me. It is. It is just another yeah. blues song, but it's done right. Track eight, Stray Cat Blues, speaking of blues songs. <laughs> so this great song. Um, love the chorus in this one. And, you know, we don't get a ton of big choruses in this song, but I do really enjoy this chorus. And again, Keith Richards is making that 60s squeaky lead guitar sound work. Um you know, Jagger, he always brings a ton of attitude and style to his vocals, and that is definitely the charm on this in particular track for me. I like this song a lot. Um, Dave, what do you got? Yeah, this is a very bluesy rock and roll song. Uh, some kind of uh, sleazy lyrics with a rock and ride out. Uh, according to Mick Jagger, the song was inspired by the song Heroin uh, by the Velvet Underground. Cool. And I'm pretty sure Mick Jagger is a creep. If you listen to the lyrics, uh, we can <laughs> uh, we can expand on that later. But yeah, it's a, uh, yeah. So it, it, it was a different time. <laughs> but it's a rocket song about banging chicks. Nice. So sometimes when I go up behind my wife when she's doing dishes and I and I muscle <laughs> in between her ass cheeks, you know what I like to do to like really get her going? I like to like oh, no. put my I like to put my mouth right against her neck and do something like 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like that, like that just throws it over the top. Like she'll start swinging. Like it's not good. She can turn around with like elbows. Oh, dude, she's 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 nailed me in my low nut so many times. I can't even tell you. Okay, Ed, go ahead. <laughs> oh, dear God, dear God. Uh so what I'm about to say is actually a positive. Ooh, it's gonna sound like a negative. This okay. is the first. Eh, song that isn't just a straight blues riff. Okay, it's what I was expecting to hear. It's not a great, uh, great song, but it's more of the sound that I love about the Stones. The music at the end is a nice change to the song, but I felt it was a li- too little, too late. Unfortunately, the song underdelivered for me, uh, and I didn't find anything really stand out in the song. But it was more of like I wish they ventured more down this type of blues than what we got on side A. Nice. Uh, Feet, go ahead. Fuck, I, I'm really torn on this one because like my first note was, wow, I kind of like this, you know, in the intro. And then the, then the lyrics start and I'm like, oh, fuck. This isn't good. <laughs> oh, no. This isn't good. This is about a 15-year-old girl. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of like, maybe we could do a fast five on like songs, like which songs creepier, you know what I mean? Like that. Because this, this, this rides pretty high on the creepo meter. Um, and yeah, I would like this, but it's super dirty. I, I like it. It's close to getting a kiss pass because it is a really cool song, but it doesn't quite get the kiss pass. Yeah. So I no, mean, just okay. Maybe if she was yeah. only 17, right, Ed? Yeah. 17, <laughs> it would get the kiss pass. 15, no. No. It's a little young. Definitely not. You it's fucking a little creep. young. Yep. Uh, you know, again, I agree with a lot of what Ed's saying, but, you know, I can't get this anywhere else. Can't get this anywhere else. There's no other band doing it ever. I'll agree with you. Yeah. Fucking Rolling Stone. So that's yep. why it is what it is. Okay. Track nine, Factory Girl. Um, Come on, guys. Fucking violin, mandolin, it fucking folk sound, cool lyrics, stylistic vocals. This is the front porch rock and roll. I fucking love this song. I love this song. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Yeah, more very folky music, uh, acoustic guitar with percussion. Uh, this sounds, you know, kind of like Irish music to me or something. Um Wikipedia uh, says it's very similar to an Appalachian folk tune, especially due to its minimal arrangement. Um, Keith Richards has said of the song that, uh, you know, felt like an Irish jig or, or you know, ancient Celtic thing or Appalachian song. Um, so he says, uh, in those days, I would just come up and play something sitting around the room. I still do that today. Uh, if Mick gets interested, I'll carry on working on it. If he doesn't look interested, I'll drop it, leave it and say, uh, you know, maybe try it again later. <laughs> nice. But yeah. Good, nice. good song. Yeah. I didn't get any, uh, Celtic undertones, but I thought it was a great front porch fucking folk blues song. Uh, Ed, you got it. Uh, I also got the same thing. This has more of a British Irish blues vibe and I love it. It's got that folky, like, like you're, you know, it, 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 like you're just together, like you're working through something. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise. I love how the song opens. You have that percussion with someone like tapping their ring or something on a table. Uh, and then the guitar just playing the rhythm and the vocals with that ukulele or whatever it is. 
that comes in. Oh, it's so good. This is such a simple, sweet, great song. This is what I was hoping, like, all the, the whole first side other than Sympathy for the Devil was. That's, you know, it's so difficult as a singer to put a vocal track over a music track like this because you could so easily ruin it. Like, you have to sound like just the guy that's on the porch drinking a fucking lemonade and just kind of, they're like, yeah, just fucking sing something. Just And, and it sounds like that's what the fuck he's doing. It's really good. Fee. Yeah, I like this song a lot. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm still at this point in the album, I'm shocked they don't have more high energy songs, but you know, whatever it is, what it is, I'll, I'll accept it for what it is. But this was the first track where I could really see like the Black Crows doing, you know, like the influence on the Crows for sure. Not quite. Next song is where we're going to yeah. hear the Black Crows have ripped well, off a fucking song. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I can see why they why they liked it. I can see why the black crows were influenced by these guys, by this type of music. Like I could see them doing a cover of a song like this and electrifying it more and it being more of an energy song like the black crows bring to music. So yeah, they did. It's called, she talks to angels and it's really called salt of the earth. So (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's true. It's true. I mean, come on. It's fucking note for note. Fucking the, the intro it's give me a break. Ah, speaking of which, track 10, Salt of the Earth. Um, so I love the panning choices in this. Uh, we get the guitar right up the middle in the intro. First vocal, hard left. Next vocal, hard right. Then eventually it's going to take over the middle of the track. And I thought that was really cool. And we're going to get the big female backing vocals on this, you know, like the Stones have done so many times. Loved it. Um, great song and it inspired she talks to angels by the black crows heavily they literally just lifted a spot right out of this song and said let's just write a song around this piece of music and eventually came up with uh she talks to angels dave what do you got oh yeah i'm 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 sure the uh black crows guys are are very very big stones fans um but yeah, we hear uh, Keith Richards singing lead for the first time on this album. Uh, hear the first couple lines of the song. Uh, Mick joins in with Nicky Hopkins on piano for the second half of the verse. Great Charlie Watts drums. Uh, the choir takes over for the third chorus. Um, the gospel group is the Los Angeles Watts Street Gospel Choir. Um, and, and that's a sound that's kind of a precursor to their, you know, you can't always get what you want, stuff like that. Um, it's a killer gospel ending. Uh, the song was famously played at their Atlantic City, New Jersey, 1989 concert with Axel and Izzy from Guns N' Roses guesting. Nice. And it, it was also uh, played at the uh, 2001 concert for New York City in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks with a few lyrical alterations. Uh, that's a very powerful performance. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Axel's kind of goofy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just as a kinda. person. Thanks, Ed. You beat me to it. Kind of. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Fuck, man. He made that great record, Appetite for Destruction, but he's kind of just a goon. No Mick Jagger. He's an old woman sure. now. He is an old Him and Ace, or not Ace, uh, Vinnie Vincent. Yeah. Oh, Vinnie Vincent, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're oh. talking about Dave's alumni. Do not diss Vinnie Vincent. <laughs> Uh, not a big Vincent fan. <clears throat> um, Ed, what do you got? Hank, 
God, they're ending the album with two decent songs. This is a great example of what makes the Stones the Stones. They absolutely own this style. I wish there was more of this on the album. The song is a British blues song, and it grabs you and instantly makes you feel as if you're a factory worker in a pub after your shift. You're enjoying a pint while singing songs with your friends. I mean, it... it I instantly just... When I hear the song, I think of all the times I've been to London. And all it, the and times? Just, How many times yeah, I've been, been to a, London? I've, uh, I don't know. Maybe three, four. Holy I don't know. Shit. Maybe two. I, it, it definitely more than one. Oh my god! I, I do, did a lot of uh, pub drinking. So, <laughs> but yeah, and it's it's dude. This is just the vibe you get. It's it's unbelievable. It's so cool. You know, and then the gospel singers at the end, that with the piano really brings an energy and dynamic to the music that was lacking in so many previous songs. Like this, the last two songs were, I just, it, it was such a saving grace for me with this album. Like, I wish they got rid of it, move uh, Sympathy for the Devil to side two and get rid of the rest of the songs on side A, you know, side one. Oh, get rid of them. I don't know about that. Uh, you know, all the times I've been to the Appalachian Mountains. I don't know. Okay, Pete, what do you got? <laughs> I, I don't believe you've ever been to the Appalachian Mountains. I've never think been to the Appalachian enough. Mountains. Yeah. No. Um, it would require him to leave the house. I did a lot right, of traveling right, when I was younger. Right. <laughs> oh, I know. Um no, I, this song's great. You guys said it all. I, I mean, I just, I rated it a little bit higher for me, you know, making it a playlist, but uh, just for the message alone, you know, let's drink to the salt of the earth. You know, I, I think this is a great song. Really fucking good tune. Cool. Cool. All right, guys. So we did it. We broke down this, uh, this rock and blues album. I think we did it justice. And now it is time to release the bonus track. <laughs> This week's bonus track was requested by one Jacques Cousteau of the Sea. <laughs> he writes, I love the ocean, and I'd love to hear you guys review A Million Miles Away by Primsos. Okay. So, A Million Miles Away. I was not familiar with this song, um, but I absolutely loved it. Uh, great video, great lyrics. Great verse with a really catchy chorus. The production was a little weird on it. It was very uh, kind of monotone, like, but uh, fucking great song. Um, really catchy chorus. Really, really cool ascending guitar solo. I really like this solo a lot. Um, this track for me is pushing 81.02 watts, and I will be searching out more music from this band. I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I really like this track. Um, Dave. What do you got? Yes. Uh, song is a little light sound-wise. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the 12-string guitar. Uh, great, great chorus, though. Good bass line. Uh, it was released in 1982 and was featured in the 1983 film Valley Girl. Uh, so cool. peaked at 82 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Uh, the band broke up in 1984 and was covered. This song was covered in 1990 by the Goo Goo Dolls. So, you know, we we probably have heard it somewhere, but, you know, maybe not, you know, this version. 
the band was from California. Uh, they were known as a either power pop or alternative post-punk. Uh, good song. My score is 71. Yeah, it had a really great sound to it, man. It sounded like a lot of other bands, you know, late 70s, early 80s pop. Like you said, pop, power punk type vibe. And I thought it was really cool. And I loved in the video when he gets off the bus in L.A., um, the bus has a flash dance movie um, advertisement on the side of it. And it just kind of brought me back. I got real nostalgic for it. Probably bumped up my score a little bit. Um, Ed, what do you got? Uh, how is it that you do a movie podcast and have never seen Valley Girls? Oh, I've seen Valley Girls. Nicholas how Cage? did you not know this song then? I, 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 I recognize the chorus, but okay. I, I didn't reckon. I wasn't familiar with the song and, and I believe probably like Dave said, I'm more familiar with the Goo Goo Dolls version, which I think I probably heard, you know, on the radio inadvertently. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause this is like, I remember when I heard the song for the first time on Valley Girls and just loved it. The, yeah. It's a great song. Listen to it so many times. The groove and the grit um, this song has yet also having this monster hook of a chorus. I mean, you can't not sing that chorus. It's awesome. Yeah. I think it's a must listen to everybody. I gave this uh, an 85.3. Yeah, good score. Great song. Great song. The only thing holding this song back a little bit was the production was a little bit flat on it. It could have yeah, been. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It could have been brightened up and crisped up a little bit and it would have been more effective. I but bet. We that. also have to remember, you know, during that time period, Money was such a weird thing with production. I mean, God, remember all the stories you'd hear about? I spent three days looking for the snare sound right. and thousands and thousands of dollars. And then you have a band like this that, you know, they were probably lucky they had a couple thousand dollars to record it. <laughs> yeah. And the production was cool. Like, I mean, it definitely had the sound I'm sure they were looking for. But when you have a song with this much potential as a pop hit, you got to you gotta change your sound a little bit to fit yeah, the totally. uh the genre i'll bet that goo goo dolls version is really good because i know this is not going to be a popular take but i really thought the goo goo dolls were pretty good um fee what do you got i i'm gonna have to listen to this again because i'm not hearing what you guys are hearing i I like valley girl it's okay it's probably my wife's favorite movie um Hmm. so i'm sure i've heard this song before but it's largely unmemorable for me um i i really it's just just okay. Like it didn't do any listening to it yesterday. Didn't do anything for me at all. So I'll just give it a 55. Mm. Okay. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Someone's got to bring down your monster scores. Uh, what do you guys think of uh goo goo dolls? Just quickly, <clears throat> Dave. Uh, they're okay. You know, a little, uh, little light, but you know, Hey, some big choruses and some great words and some great vocals. I Yeah, they had yeah. some good songs. They did. Uh, Ed? Uh, I like them. I, like, I actually like them more now that I've seen them live. Uh, I saw them in train, and they both impressed the hell out of me way more live than they did with any of their recordings. Yeah, I love his studio work. I've never seen him live, but that's because they've never played in my living room. Uh, Fee, how about you? <laughs> just okay you know some of the hits were good some not so good for me but just okay just okay i I wouldn't buy an album or anything like that okay um all right ed will you please calculate those scores and tell us how many watts this song is pushing all right a million miles away from the plimsolls is pushing 
a solid 73.08 watts. And Dave, where does that land it on the Breaking Vinyl Wall of Fame bonus tracks? That puts it on the bonus track chart at number seven, uh, just Ooh. under Faster Pussycats Nonstop to Nowhere nice. and over uh, Asia's Time Again. No fucking way. I'm changing that's, my fucking score on Groundhog Day. God that, damn it. That song no is way. sinking like a rock. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. Okay. Uh, on Groundhog Day, I might just remove it altogether from the list. <laughs> okay. Um, Good, favorite we'll song. We'll do the whole album. <laughs> favorite song. Uh, for me, favorite song. No exceptions. <laughs> I'm just not changing that. And song I cut. Parachute Woman, and that would be for the poor production. Um, Dave, what do you got? Uh, favorite track, Salt of the Earth. Uh, you know, signature stone sound. It's, it's, I don't know why it's not uh, a more popular song up there with, you know, their biggest hits. Um, I would cut Jigsaw Puzzle. The lyrics are just a little too weird for me. They are weird. Uh, Ed, what do you got? Uh, my favorite track, Sympathy for the Devil. I think it's just one of the best songs ever written. Uh, and I'm with you, Dave. Jigsaw Puzzle's got to go. Okay. Okay. And V. You guys are out of your mind. Jigsaw Puzzle's fucking great. But uh, my favorite track was Street Fighting Man. And I'm going to have to cut the No Kiss Pass, Stray Cat Blues. Okay. All right, uh, let's do a quick uh, remove and add. I would remove Charlie Watts on drums, and I would replace him with one John Paul Desmore of The Doors. Always enjoyed his drum sounds. Always enjoyed his playing. I think it would have added to this album, as I thought that the drums might have been a small hole in this album uh, from a production standpoint and maybe just a little too simple for the album. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Well, it's easy for me. Uh, Axe Brian Jones, uh, and we can uh, bring in Mick Taylor a little sooner. Uh, mm -hmm. They could use his kick-ass blues feel for sure on this album. Um, yeah. Alternately, you know, take your pick: Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page. <laughs> you know, yeah. throw it, throw in a little extra guitar spice. Sure, let's have five guitar players. I'm up for it. <laughs> sure, all at the same time. <laughs> Do it, all of them. I'll buy that ticket and get in my DeLorean time machine for that show any day. Um, Ed, what do you got? Uh, I'm with Dave. Brian Jones has to go, but I would replace him with Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes. That girl can play guitar, and her style was destined to be with Keith Richards playing. I just love it. I think she would be a perfect fit. Uh, not to sound misogynistic, but I do not want a woman in the Rolling Stones unless she's singing background vocals on Sympathy for the Devil. Have you uh, seen Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes? I don't care. <clears throat> Nothing is going to make me want to put a woman in the Rolling Stones. Nothing. Nothing. It's like putting a woman in Motley Crue. I don't want to see it. Sorry, I love women. And they have their place in music. They just do not belong in the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones for me is a male band. That's how I feel. I'm sure she's very talented. Fee, what do you got? You you love women when they're put in their place. Is that what you're saying? 
that's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. Uh, okay. Now we're, I think we nailed it. Now we're that's 99% male listeners. We just lost <laughs> two it. more percent. That's it. No way. Love women. Love them as musicians. Absolutely. Yep. I just am not replacing Keith Richards with a woman or Ryan. No. Go ahead. Um, and you guys can shit on me for this all you want because you do every other week, so whatever. Uh, I'm replacing Charlie Watts with Ringo because I think I like Ringo better, and that's it. Fee, uh, I had that as one of my picks, actually. So okay. I'm not going to shit on you. I think it I like works. John Densmore, but I think he's probably a little too heavy for this. You know what I mean? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. But maybe you would have punched up the album a little. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's do some final thoughts, get a score on this bitch, and category it catalog it catalog it so of course i love this album but it does drag a bit while missing hooks so if you aren't someone that is entertained by cool guitar playing and nasty harp you might get bored listening to this album uh that was not me though i did not get bored listening to this album uh this score feels a little low but this album is pushing 86.09 watts for me it just doesn't have enough polished hits like last week's album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, to push it up into the 90s. Um, it's getting an 86.09, strictly on how fucking cool it is and because it is the Rolling Stones. And on the cool meter, this thing is a 98.93, but we don't have that category. So <laughs> we're going to have to stick with 86.09. Uh, Dave, what do you got? Uh, maybe we should start that category. <laughs> <laughs> I think we um, have too many categories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this album is a classic by the Stones. It contains two of their biggest hits that they still play today. Uh, 60s protest anthems, or at least one, uh, as well as quality blues slash country songs you may have never heard before. Um, yeah, I mean, somebody who who's just casual fan coming into the Stones, you, you probably wouldn't want to drop this on them. Um, you know, give, give them, give them 40 licks, give them the, you know, greatest hits, something like that. But, um, you know, for, for digging deeper into their catalog, uh, this is a, a great place to go. Well worth checking out. My score is 81. 81. All right. And Ed, what do you got? All right. Uh, you know, what? I've never heard this album before. There were some positives on the B side. It does have one of my favorite all-time songs on it. Um, they are the Stones. I get what they were, what they are, where they were going. I just think they underperformed on most of this album. For that, I'm giving it a 72.8 watts. I think that's a little low. It's a little low. You can think whatever you want. I think you're yeah. wrong. Fucking drink coffee I think out of a Canadian's mug. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fee, what do you got? Wow. I'm, I'm really surprised by this. I thought for sure Ed was going to be the lowest score, but he's oh, not. Oh, fuck. You're going um, lower than that? Give me a second. Give me okay. a second. Okay. Um, no, I mean, like when I was looking through a lot of the Stones albums, especially at that time, there are like two to four songs that are just monster hits that I absolutely love. And then the rest are just kind of okay you know what i mean like nothing nothing great but nothing like terrible either you know i could i could listen to them cover cover to cover but um for that reason i gave this a uh, 71 watts okay i mean guys 
let's be honest. If I'm not a Rolling Stones fan, like if I don't like the Rolling Stones and don't fucking get wood for the way they play, this probably in high 60s for me. But right. that's not the case. So I get it. I do. I get it. Okay. Um, next week. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll do this every week now. I fucking promised I wouldn't do this again. <laughs> Ed, will you please calculate those scores and tell us how many watts this album is pushing? It's only the whole point of the entire fucking show. Oh, God. Fuck. I don't know why I get so much joy from your failures and how you react to them. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Uh, Beggar's Banquet by the Rolling Stones is pushing a solid 77.72 watts. That's nice. It works. It's where it should be. If you're not a Stones fan, that's probably even a little on the high side. So I, I'm happy with that score. And Dave, will you please tell us where that score lands this album on the Breaking Vinyl charts? That brings it in at number 17. Uh, just under Kiss's Rock and Roll Over and over Tina Turner's Private Dancer. All right. All right. That's fine. I mean, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Uh, okay, so next week, Fee has got the pick, and he will be deciding what album we will be listening to all week. Fee, will you please unveil next week's album? Okay. I, I think we need to get back to the 80s, because okay. I think we've been in the like 60s and 70s for quite a bit. And um, Des, even though I want to go where you want me to go, I'm oh. not going where you want me to go. And I hope everyone enjoys this album as much as I do. I want to do some uh, Def Leppard. Let's go with some Pyromania. Yes! Dude, nice. kick-ass album. Fucking yeah. one of the greatest. I had this one on my radar, Sophie. I love your pick. Okay. Um, do, 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 do. Please go over to our sister podcast. Hey, did you ever see that movie? I was fired. I am no longer allowed to read the scripts um, for just abuse of the, of the job. So Mr. Wynn took it back over this week. Um, we did review the 1986 homoerotic thriller, The Hitcher, with Rutger Hauer and C. Thomas Howell. It was a lot of fun. So go over there, check that out. Um, yeah. So until next week, take the albums out of the sleeve and let the music breathe. See you next time. See ya. Later. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>